Amen. Children, at this time, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's open together to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 17 this morning. Amen. Oh man, about to have some fun in Children's Church. Can't wait. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, go ahead and make your way to verses 17 through 24 this morning. We're going to talk about walking in new life, walking in new life. Now, let me just kind of remind you of the context of where we're at in the book of Ephesians and specifically where we're at in chapter 4. Remember that the first three chapters of the book, Paul is detailing for us the doctrine of salvation. He's explaining how you Unity in Christ has now come to the Jews and the Gentiles alike, how they are one body because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And so the first three chapters, Paul is detailing and teaching us about salvation. Well, then we get to chapter 4, and Paul shifts gear. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul begins to talk about how we, as the body of Christ, are to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In other words, Paul Paul says, now let me tell you how to live out your salvation. Let me tell you how to take the salvation you have, how to put it into practice so that you can actually begin following Jesus, walking like Jesus, and living your life for the glory of God. And so that's exactly what Paul begins to do in chapter 4. And so in the first thing that Paul addresses is unity within the body of Christ that leads to maturity for the body of Christ. And so as you pick up in verses 2 through 16, Paul addresses the unity that we have in Christ, the unity that we have as the body of Christ, and how that unity, when we use all the different gifts that God has given, we bring them all together, how that builds up the body of Christ to maturity. And so after having said that, Paul then jumps to the next way in which we can walk worthy of our salvation in verses 17 and following. That's why Paul begins by bringing that analogy up again. And he says, thus I say by, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And so what Paul is doing is he's going back to verse 1. He's grabbing that analogy of walking. And in verses 17 and following, he's going to tell us how we are to walk in new life. And so in the text, we're going to see two ways in which we can walk in the new life that we have in Christ. So let's go ahead and jump back into verse 17. Let's read through verse 24. We'll pray, and then we're going to walk through this text together. So Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But, verse 20... 
That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us together here in your house to hear your word and to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would now be glorified as we walk through this text. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as an instrument in your hand and that you would speak through me to our hearts that we might hear your word and that we might respond accordingly. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we surrender this service to you. We surrender this time of message to you and we pray that your will would be done in our lives it's in your holy name that we pray amen amen well again in the text we're going to see two ways in which we can walk in the new life we have in christ number one we must put off the old way of life characterized by the world around us that was a mouthful so let me say it again we must put off the old way of life characterized by the world around us. So notice what Paul begins in verse 17. He says, This I say and testify in the Lord. Notice Paul first calls on the appeal of the Lord, reminding us that Paul is speaking on behalf of God. In other words, this is what Paul wants for the church at Ephesus. This is what Paul wants for us. But more importantly, Paul says, This is what God wants for your life. This is what God needs you to hear. This is what God needs you to do. And so he says that we're to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now what this text is going to make clear is that we have a choice to make. Paul says that we're to no longer walk in this way. That means, number one, we used to walk this way. What Paul is going to describe is what we are apart from Christ, who we were before Christ. This is what our life would look like if we didn't know Jesus, or this is what our life does look like because we don't know Christ. And so Paul says that we're to no longer walk that way because we used to walk this way. And notice... When Paul says that we're no longer to walk this way, Paul is telling us that there is a possibility that if we are not careful, we could walk this way again. We all know that believer who has fallen into sin, who has gotten wrapped back up in sin. We know that pastor, we know that church leader, we know that person that we thought would never fall who has fallen into sin once again. And so Paul says that we're to no longer walk this way, helping us understand that there is a choice that we're going to have to make. And so this choice is something that we have to decide, and this text is going to apply to us both individually and corporately. In other words, we're to live this out individually, but we're to live this out individually so that we can be unified corporately as the body of Christ. Remember, We are members one of another. Amen? And if you stump your toe, your whole body hurts in response. Amen? And in the same way, if one of us or many of us fall into this kind of a lifestyle, if we fail to put this text into practice, it will impact every single one of us as the body of Christ. And so... 
What Paul is going to emphasize is what Paul emphasized back in chapter 2, verse 10, when he said this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice, Paul first begins this walk analogy all the way back in chapter 2. When Paul was talking about the salvation that we have in Christ that comes by grace, by faith, not by works. Amen? Nothing we've done to earn it, but God gives it to us by His grace. And then Paul says, not only has God saved you, but God has created you for good works that He's prepared that you should walk in. And what we're going to see is that there's a choice to be made. We have to choose to follow God. We have to choose to walk in uh, these good works. We have to choose to walk worthy of our salvation. But again, let me remind you, as I try to often remind you, this is not about you or me doing better in life. This is about me and you submitting more and more of our life to Jesus. Amen? I want you to understand, a message like this, a text like this can come across the wrong way. It can come across as if I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps, if I need to try harder and live for Jesus more as if it's all up to me. And I want to remind you, you can't do it apart from Christ. Amen? So it's not about me and you doing better. It's about me and you submitting more and more of ourselves to Jesus because when sin enters in, it's not because we stopped doing good. It's because we stopped following Jesus in those moments. Amen? And so we want to just surrender more and more of ourselves to the Lord. And so notice what Paul says then in verse 17. He says that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So the question is, how do the Gentiles walk? What are we supposed to avoid as we follow Christ? Well, notice seven things that are identified in verses 17 through 19. As a matter of fact, I would invite you to just stay focused right there in verse 17 and follow along with me. As Paul begins, he says, We are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Listen, this speaks of humanity's inability to try to find, excuse me, true meaning in life apart from God. Think about this for a moment. This characterizes the world around us. Humanity is in a desperate search for something meaningful in life. This is where all forms of idolatry come from, by the way. It's us, man, trying to make up something that we can worship because we know we need to worship something, right? We see this in in being wrapped up in, in politics, in work, in hobby, in games, in family, in all kind of things because what are we doing as man? We're trying to find something that makes life worth living, right? We're trying to find meaning in life. And what we find is that when we find meaning in anything other than Christ, it ends up being meaningless, and therefore the search continues. So now we have people that are searching for their identity, searching for who they are, trying to, trying to figure out all the things that God's Word makes clear. Why? Because they're searching for meaning in life apart from Christ. And what does Paul say? Paul says that's futility. It's worthlessness, right? That's what the, the, the author of, of, uh, of, of Ecclesiastes says, Solomon. He says, it's vanity of vanities. All is vanities. I tried to find meaning in all that the world has to offer. And Solomon says, it was like grasping for the wind. I could never catch it. 
Because there is no meaning in life apart from Christ. Amen? You live your whole life, gain the world. Be the richest, most powerful, most popular, most famous, most whatever person that's ever walked the face of the earth. And then you die? And it's all for nothing. Life apart from Christ is meaningless. And so Paul says that we should no longer walk in the futility of our minds. But Paul continues. He explains further that they are darkened in their understanding. The idea here is that the lights have been turned out to the truth of God's word. In other words, they are unable to comprehend the truth of God's word. They're unable to know who Jesus is apart from God revealing himself to them. Notice as well that they are alienated from God. This one phrase sums up all the others. They are separated from God due to their sin. And therefore they are separated from God's blessings. They're separated from salvation. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are alienated from God. And there is nothing that they can do about it. Notice Paul continues on and he says that it's due to the ignorance that is in them. The ignorance term here is used to speak not just of a lack of knowledge, but to an open rejection of God. In other words, this is a willful rejection of God and His ways. This is me saying no to God because I either don't trust God, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe that I have a need for God. And notice we see all three. There are plenty who say, I don't need God. There are plenty who say, I don't believe in God. And there are plenty who say, I don't need God's way. I don't need his ways in my life. And all of that comes about due to ignorance. A willful rejection of who God is and a willful rejection of our need for him. Well, that leads, notice next, to a hardness of heart as we follow the text. This is the result of someone who continues to reject God. Notice they grow hard towards God. Their heart begins begins to be hard. It begins to be impenetrable by the truth. And oftentimes this leads not only to hardness, but it leads towards hostility towards God's. Because they've become hard, they grow callous. Notice it speaks to no longer feeling the guilt, shame, and conviction of sin. They no longer feel God speaking. They no longer feel God's presence. They no longer feel the guilt and the shame that sin should bring. And because they no longer feel guilt, because they no longer feel shame, because they no longer feel that conviction, notice what we see at the end. They, they completely give themselves over into sin. As a matter of fact, look at verse 19. Verse 19 is, is graphic and it's telling. Notice it says they've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The imagery here is that this this is someone who has given up on trying to live a righteous life and instead has given themselves up to all kinds of impurity. In other words, whatever the flesh desires, this is those who have given completely into that so that whatever they want, whatever they feel, whatever the flesh desires, they give themselves into completely. But it's not that they stop there. Notice, they're greedy 
to do more and more impure, wicked things. In other words, their flesh is never satisfied. And so this is the one who's inventing new and more wicked and despicable ways to fall into sin. They're hungry for sin and so they invent new ways to sin. This describes the world around us clearly. Amen? This, unfortunately, is the world that we live in. This is, this is what's happening all around us. What used to be unheard of, what used to be unthinkable, is now common practice. And to speak against many of those things is politically incorrect and sociably unacceptable. What's happening? Well, the world around us is growing more and more wicked by the day. And what would have caused our grandparents to die of shock is now normal for us. Which means I don't even want to think about the world that these young children are going to have to grow up in is going to look like. How many times as a parent or as a grandparent do you sit back and worry about what your children, what your grandchildren are going to experience in their lifetime? It's not getting better, amen? It's only going to get worse and continually worse until, praise God, Christ returns, amen? But what we begin to see is that wickedness abounds. So notice this describes the world around us, but also notice this describes who we are apart from Christ. Remember what Paul said. He said that we would no longer walk this way. In other words, Paul says, this is who you are apart from Christ. And Paul says, this is who you might still be if you are not careful. Now, I want to be careful here because I want us to understand what Paul means here. When Paul says that we're no longer to walk this way, he does mean that this is how we used to walk, this is how we used to live. And for many of us, this is what life would look like if Christ had not intervened. Amen? Listen, praise God, I was saved at nine years old. So by the time that I was nine, God had already called me into his family, had already given me new life. And so by God's grace, I didn't experience all that Paul talks about here. But what this text makes clear is that if it hadn't have been for Jesus coming into my life at nine, I would have. Amen? And was it because of anything awesome I did that I was saved at nine? No. It was by God's grace and God's grace alone. Amen? It was by God's grace. And so Paul says, this is who you were or this is who you would have been. But Paul tells us very clearly that we are not to walk or live like this any longer. In other words, it's possible if we let sin in that we would live like this again. As a matter of fact, remember the words of God to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Then Peter adds to that in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9, through 9, writing to the churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Therefore, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's what I want us to remember. Sin is always ready to destroy us. The devil always wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is walking about like a roaring lion, ready to devour any and every one of us. And each one of us has to know that sin is behind the door, ready to pounce if we let it. So we have to be vigilant, amen? We have to be sober. We have to constantly be on the lookout, guarding ourselves from temptation. We have to make sure that we have put off the old man. Amen? We've got to make sure that we're no longer living like we used to live. That we're no longer living like the world around us. Now, here's the good news. By God's grace, we have been set free from sin. Amen? By God's grace, God has already accomplished that work in us if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. That means that we are no longer to walk in this manner, but again, it means that we can if we are not careful. So, we must put off the old way of life characterized by the world around us. And then secondly, we must put on new life in Christ characterized by the God of the universe. Notice what Paul says in verse 20. Notice the imagery as well. He says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Notice this is in stark contrast to what we saw in verses 17 through 19. This is the way the world lives. But Paul says in verse 20, but that's not the way that we live. Amen? That's not how we have learned Christ. Then notice the language. Paul speaks of being educated. It's as if we're all back in school. And he says, that's not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't mean, by the way, assuming. When he says that word, assuming you've heard and you've been taught, Paul doesn't mean he's wondering if they have Paul instead is emphasizing the fact that they had heard of Jesus and they had been taught who Jesus was. You know how Paul knew that? Paul was their founding pastor, amen? Paul was the one who planted the church at Ephesus. Paul was the one who spent your years pouring into the church at Ephesus until he was literally run out of town by an angry mob. Right? And then Paul sent Timothy to continue to pour into the church at Ephesus and be, there and be their pastor. So Paul isn't wondering if they've heard of Jesus and been taught in Jesus. Paul's saying, you have been taught correctly. You have gone to school. You are highly educated in who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches and how to follow Jesus. And Paul says, because of who Jesus is and because of what you know of Jesus... Your life should look nothing like verses 17 through 19. Amen? Instead, you should live in the newness of life that is found in Christ. How do we do that? Well, notice the three commands he gives us in verse 22 through 24. First of all, notice he says that we're to put off your old self. 
We're to put off the old self, that self that is characterized by our former way of life when we lived like the world around us and when we were corrupt through deception and sin. Now, what's great here is that the grammar helps us better understand the text because the grammar here is, excuse me, the grammar makes it clear that this is not something that we do, but something that God has already done for us at the moment of salvation. So listen, this is huge. This is good news. When Paul says that we're to put off the old man, Paul isn't telling us that we are supposed to do something. Instead, Paul is telling us that we're to live in light of what God has already done. At the moment of your salvation, God took the old man and he removed him from who you are. The the old man has already been put off. You've already been set free from sin. Amen? And so this has already been accomplished on your behalf. And what Paul is saying is that you need to live in light of what God has already done. But notice as well, this is, again, this isn't you need to do better. Instead, this is that we need to submit to what God has already done in us. And we need to submit to God's leading in our lives. It's, I promise you, it's never about you trying harder. It's about you getting on your knees and you submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ daily. It's about you getting on your knees throughout the day, confessing your sin and submitting yourself back to the Lord. Amen? I'm telling you, it's not about trying harder. It's about realizing that no matter how hard you try, you will never be enough apart from Christ. It's about saying, God, I need you in this moment so that I can bring you glory. The old way is me trying to do it on my own. The new way is me letting Christ do it through me. Amen? And so Paul says that we must put off that old man. And he says the old man's already been put off, so live like it. Secondly, he says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. This is that we're to have our thinking radically transformed by the truth of God and his word. Here's something that I've noticed over the last several months, and and honestly, over the last several years. I don't think like the rest of the world thinks. Now, now listen, that, that seems humorous to us because all of us tend to think in similar ways. Hopefully that's because our thinking has been shaped by God's Word. Amen? But like, I'm hoping that we think in line with what God's Word teaches, that our minds have been renewed. But what I'm beginning to, to see more and more clearly is that this way of thinking is a radical transformation of how mankind thinks. Amen? Listen, it's hard for us to fathom, but, but the things that we're hearing, the things that we're seeing, that's how the vast majority of humanity thinks. That, that's what they think is right. That's what they think is true. That is their ethics. That is their morals. That's what they think is good, acceptable, and right. And what we find is that God's word has radically transformed our minds. Now again, the grammar here is helpful because the grammar here, this appears as a present imperative. What that means is that this is an ongoing process. What's awesome is the putting off is something that God has already done once and forever. He has put off the old man. It won't be complete until Christ returns, but it's already been taken away. Amen? Sin has been removed. We've been set free. The renewal of our mind, however, that's an ongoing process. That's something that happens as we submit more and more and more of ourselves to Christ. 
Now, let me be clear, because sometimes I, I don't want it to come across as if we don't do anything. This renewal of our mind doesn't happen by osmosis or digital download. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Amen? If I could just take a nap on my Bible and wake up knowing it full-heartedly, right? Or wouldn't it be sweet if there was an option on my iPad to just download this into my heart and into my mind so that I know it and can live it without flaw? Unfortunately, that's not the way it happens, amen? So what does it require? Well, it requires us submitting ourselves to Christ. And what that looks like is that we will spend more time with Jesus, more time in His Word, and more time with the body that He's placed us in. Amen? You see how that works? Well, I can pray, 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 and pray, and pray. Spend all my time on my knees and never crack His Word. And I will not know anything more about God. I have to be willing to spend time in the Word. Amen? I can be this sold-out follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who spends all this time in the Word and knows the Word inside and out, but if I'm removed from the body, then I'm just a dead member. Right? I'm that, I'm that black toad that's been cut off and thrown in the trash bin. It's a hard reality, but it's clearly what God is teaching us. We have to be unified as a part of the body, verses 2 through 16. Amen? We have to be a part of the body. We have to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to spend time in His Word. And as we submit to the Lord, as we do these things, then what happens is our mind gets renewed. And we begin to think in line with what God's Word teaches. Amen? And there are difficult things that come up that God's word isn't crystal clear on that thankfully because we're a part of a body, we can discuss those things together and we can prayerfully and biblically come up with how we ought to think and what we ought to do based upon God's word and based upon the counsel of one another. Amen? That's why it's so important that we remain in tune with the body. Amen? And so what Paul says is that if we want to live in this newness of Christ, we have to, first of all, put off the old self, which God has done on our behalf. We have to be re renewed in the spirit of our mind. And then thirdly, Paul says that we're to put on the new life or the new self. Notice this is the self that was created after the likeness of God. Look at that in verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me remind you of what we see in Genesis. We have been created in the image of God. Amen. Listen, that means so much that I, I can't go into all of it, but I want to remind you that you've been created in the image of God. That means that you have incredible worth because you are a part of God's creation. You look like God. However, we also know that sin came in and distorted that. Sin marred the image of God that we possess. And so what happens is when we come to faith in Jesus, the old man is removed. Our minds enter into that process of being renewed that won't be complete until Christ returns, but we are a work in progress, amen? 
and the new life has already been put on. That's something, again, grammatically helps us see this. This is something God's already done on your behalf. When you accept Jesus, the old self is gone, the new self has come, and it's a done deal. Now, it won't be complete until Christ returns and until we are rid of these sinful fleshly bodies. Amen? But it's already begun. It's already been done. And so what happens is that we're created anew so that we resemble our God more and more. And one day we will be made complete when Christ returns. And then we will truly bear the image of God again. Amen? But notice what Paul says in verse 24. He says that we've now been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Not the righteousness that the world calls righteous. Not what others may call holy, but what God's word claims is true righteousness and holiness. So how do we do this? Well, we live in light of what God has already done. We walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called, back to verse 1. What do you mean? I mean that God has already saved me so that the old self has already been removed. And so I live in light of that by no longer sinning in the way I used to sin. My mind is in the process of being renewed. Everyone can see I am a work in progress. In other words, I have not yet arrived. Amen? But it ought to be clear that the work has begun. Because I'm no longer who I used to be either. And then I live in light of the fact that the new self, the new life in Christ has already been put on me. Amen? And so what am I living? I'm living like Jesus. Because Jesus has already been thrown on top of me. Right? I've been created anew in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The old clothes came off, the new clothes in Christ came on, and I'm living in light of that. That's what it means to live in light of the new life we have in Christ. Now, what happens if that doesn't describe our life yet? In other words, what does it mean if I don't yet look like a work in progress? It means that I've yet to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen? Listen, I want to be clear. God's work in your life is undeniable. When you are transformed, you are transformed. Amen? You live like and look like and act like your Heavenly Father. Amen? And so if you're here this morning and you looking at your own life realize that there's never been a radical transformation that when you look at your life you don't see Jesus then let me help you. God loves you. God has brought you to this place so that you could accept his son so that you could trust him as Lord and Savior so that you could give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you've trusted Jesus if Jesus has not transformed your life. Amen? And don't feel bad. Don't feel as if you're not worthy or if you're not welcome because I want you to know God's got you here because he loves you and he wants you. Amen? And so what do you do but trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand in just a few moments and we're going to sing the hymn of invitation. And here's what I want you to do. 
If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you feel God speaking that truth into your heart and you feel God calling you, then in just a few moments I want you to come and and just say to me, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus and I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Believers, I want you to ask yourself, are you living in the new life that you have in Christ? Listen, being perfectly honest, there are days that I have to check myself because I am living like the old will and not like the new will. Amen? Sin is crouching at the door. It is ready to pounce. And if you don't believe me, come ask me, and I'll tell you how it happens in my life sometimes. Right? Because it's real. It happens. It happens to all of us alike. And me being a pastor doesn't make me immune to it by any stretch of the imagination. Right? And so maybe you're here this morning and you realize that this week's been a rough week. Sin has won in your life and you need to confess it. And you need to start living in light of your salvation. If so, I'd love to pray with you. This altar is open. You come and you pray however you feel led. And then also I want you just to notice that we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning as well. And we want to make sure that we partake in a worthy manner. And so maybe there's something else going on in your life. Maybe you've got sin against another or you need to reconcile with someone that's here. But let me just encourage you. Let's make sure that we partake in a worthy manner this morning. Amen. And so as our worship team comes forward, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to come. However the Lord's leading, I'm going to invite you to come and let's do business with the Lord Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you now and we surrender ourselves to you fully. We surrender this time of invitation to you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts that we might follow you now in faith and obedience. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, then Lord, I pray that you would speak and that you would call out to them. They would know that you love them and they would know that you want a relationship with them. And Lord, I pray that today might be the day that they give their life to you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who's, who's just struggling to live in light of the new life that they have in Christ, if there's some of us that are struggling to having our minds renewed because we're not fully submitted, then Lord, convict us. Convict us and help us to come before you in repentance and in faith. Then, Lord, I pray as we get ready to partake of this supper that we would do so in a worthy manner. Lord, search us and know us. If there's anything that we need to confess or deal with, then, Lord, I pray that we would do it now. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.